and we're live. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Today we're jumping back into Bobby Bamber's time machine to December of 1997 to look at all things ECW. This is volume three of the podcast this month. Five other volumes, if you can believe it or not. Five volumes. In volume one, we're going to take a look at WCW Starcade 97 and that long-awaited and certainly not to be disappointing Hulk Hogan and Sting confrontation. Uh, volume two, we'll look at the WWF and its stellar run of December pay-per-views with In Your House Degeneration X. Volume four, UFC. And then the volumes everybody waits for every December. Volume five, the end of year review. And volume six, the end of year award, awards. But today, I'm joined by uh, Chris Lacey. I am, of course, Eric Landstrom. Chris, how are you today? Wonderful. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It is Festivus time. And we are watching hardcore wrestling. And, of course, uh, as is uh, the case in the WWF and, to some extent, WCW, uh, lots of uh, lots of fast-forwarding that you can do on some of these December uh, hardcore TVs, but we'll do our best today uh, to call out some interesting things that I think are still relevant. Uh, before we get any further, though, as I always like to mention and shill multiple times every time I, I host or appear on one of these shows is the Patreon account. Uh, Bobby Banber, I don't think, gets enough credit for how he works every how hard he works every month to put these shows together. This month, I think we'll have about 15 hours worth of podcast uh, for you. So if you like what you hear and you appreciate what Bob does for our listening ears, patreon.com, wrestling20yrs, $5 a month for early access. That's uh, like four pounds. I mean, it's like four fifty. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hardly it, anything. It's, it's you know, a posh cup of coffee or a posh hot chocolate. So anyway, uh, take a look at that. But back to the news here. Uh, Chris, when I last appeared as the host of the show in October, we talked about what a transitional month that was. October seems like the build-up to WrestleMania, I think, in a lot of ways compared to this December month that we're about to talk about. But as is the case, every month in ECW, the wheels are turning forward. And so there is some news. Uh, first, Sabu's style has finally caught up with him. So Sabu has finally done himself a true injury. Whilst in Waltingham, Massachusetts, during a main event match where he and RBD were teaming up to face Sandman and Tommy Dreamer, he tried to do his standard triple jump moonsault, but he uh, would land on with his mouth on a leg of a table. People were saying that the one of the sickest looking injuries in the history of wrestling with actually part of the table leg going through his jaw. Sabu, being the mentalist that he is, went to the back, came back out with his face taped up and carried on. Bill Alfonso and Paul Heyman did try and make him go to the hospital during the show. He wouldn't do it, but he did go afterwards to get his mouth super glued back together and then taped it up and wrestled for the rest of the month like that. What a screwed up business this is. Uh, But anyway, uh, two changes of the tag team titles. So the tag team's belts first changed hands on the 5th of the 12th at the same show where Sabu done himself an injury when Lafon and Furnace beat the FBI 
for the titles. The next night in the ECW arena in a triangle match, Candido and Storm won the titles. The match in the first title change was affected when New Jack and Cronus were meant to be the tag in the match for the tag team titles. But however, Cronus got a legitimate injury uh, earlier in the month, so he couldn't wrestle. To explain this situation, New Jack got beat down by the Dudleys. And out came Furness and the Fon, and they beat the FBI. So, in the next night, as I said, at the ECW Arena, we had Lafon versus Balls and Axel versus Storm and Candido. Lafon and Furness, in the usual freeway dance rules of ECW title matches, the champions were the first ones eliminated. And thus we got new champions with Candido and Storm. And uh, Stevie Richards has a horrid month. Yeah, so first, Stevie wasn't exactly welcome back to the open the open arms of the ECW locker room. The suspicion within ECW that he bailed on them, and not because of injury, but because of he was ostracized that he had become. There's rumours of heat between him and Tommy Dreamer on how he left ECW. There's heat between Sandman because he's friends with Raven and left for ECW. And there's heat with Taz because he wrestled rough against one of Taz's trainees, Danny Morrison. This hasn't been a best of months for him. And there is talk that he may even still end up in the WWE or leaving wrestling for a while as he has lost his credibility after some fabrications of a story of him wanting to go to Europe to see his mother instead of actually being at events this month. Yeah, you cut out there a little bit, but uh, Stevie and the WWF would be uh, would be quite a uh, a sight, especially in the cruiserweight division. But it may not happen because Richard's career may be over. So, um, other interesting Stevie news. The neck injury that we heard, see heard about earlier in the year is looking like that he's going to have to need surgery for it to repair damage on his vertebrae. Surgeons will be removing C5, C6 and C6, C7 discs from his necks and fusing the remaining vertebrae together. Do this, the doctors will have to operate on the front of Richard's necks, which could also damage his carotid artery and vocal cords. They'll be taking parts of bone from his hip to be placed into his neck. This is a similar operation to the one that Steve Austin had after the Owen Hart incident at SummerSlam. So, as such, the doctors are saying that he should not be taking bumps ever again, and also may not even be able to move his neck properly ever again. Richards has been accused privately and publicly from some people, even as far as Paul Heyman, as that he is faking this injury to his neck and just to work for WCW again. And many won't believe it till they see Richards' scars. Richard says that he isn't traumatised that his career may be being cut short after many had projected he'd become a major player in the ring. 
recently saying, I've lost my heart for this business and I don't want to torture myself anymore. And as a famed litigator, Vincent Gambini once said, you win some, you lose some. So ECW have got a Christmas gift from Time Warner as they are saying that they will be putting them on their TV channels and are picking up next year's Living Dangerously pay-per-view, which will open it up to a million more homes for potential buys. And the first pay-per-views this year have all been profitable. So the addition of Time Warner is added expenses to ECW and expecting them to get a larger profit margin for their fourth event. Cablevision remains a major cable company holding out on carrying the events, although Time Warner picking it up could also lead to them taking it on. And Viewers Choice are still planning on carrying the event as well, but on their Hot Choice channel, which half of their affiliates don't carry, which is a little bit of a downside. But in the wonderful world of ECW, you can't have all good things. ECW will no longer be seen on the Madison Square Garden network as their last show aired over this past week and the end of the month. And there's also talk that America, the America One network may be dropping them from their lineup next year. Lots of uncertainty for television for ECW heading into 1998, but uh, we'll talk about that later. And we'll talk about the last month of December 1997. Uh, ECW ends the year on television, in my opinion, Chris, with more of a whimper than a bang. Uh, but we'll go through, uh, we'll go through these TVs as you'll do, uh, and, uh, we'll find a morsel or two to talk about. <laughs> so, week one's TV was from the 1st of December. It opens up with recaps of obviously November to remember. It was the last thing that we had last month. We then open with a Spike versus Mikey match. They shake hands to start. Sportsmanship between the two there. Spike Hurricane Runners to the outside and hits Cannibal on the floor. There's a couple of roll-up for some two counts. Mikey tosses Spike for a table outside. Spike counters a top rope sent on, turning it into a powerbomb. Mikey hits a tope. Spike hits the acid drop for a two. Side Russian leg sweep, but Mikey quickly turns it into the whippersnapper for the win. The whippersnapper being his top rope stunner. For some unknown reason, we start getting highlights from Mikey vs. Austin from 1995 and Sandman from, and Sabu from last year. We then get RVD vs. Al Snow. RVD jumps Snow until Snow grabs a chair and takes advantage. We get the uh, Lariat leg drop that gets a two and a snap back suplex, which Al basically starts arguing with himself after hitting. He then gets whipped into a powerbomb. RVD hits Hurricane Rana. Slips on the guardrail and crotches himself. So Snow hits the jump back kick. Then Al RVD hits one to a chair to Snow himself. We get the slingshot leg drop to the outside and a twisting splash from the second rope. Snow catches Fonzie around the outside until RVD hits a baseball slide and then hits the five star frog splash, which gets a two count. Snow hits a snow plow. Then in comes Fonzie with that fucking whistle, stopping Al getting the pin. Al once again chases him around out to the back, where Sabu smashes him with a chair. We go to the ads. We come back with RBD and Sabu on top of Snow on a table. 
but they miss the double leg drop. Snow gets up, hits a two. RVD then misses the Van Daminator. Snow hits him with a chair shot. Sabu distracts him, so RVD can then hit the Van Daminator for the win. I feel the need in my heart to address my audience, my public, and, you know, especially my fans. For the past five months, I've been in World Championship Wrestling, and while I was down there, I got to do a lot of thinking. And, you know, I thought about a lot of things going on while I was down there, and, and the one thing that really stuck out in my mind more than anything was June 7th at Wrestlepalooza because that was the night I was supposed to wrestle Terry Funk for the World Heavyweight title and I was unable to wrestle due to a severe neck injury so I walked out there that night not to wrestle Terry but just go out there and you know wish him luck in the match and for that matter wish Crash Candido luck in the match too and when I got out there, I, <laughs> I couldn't believe the chance that I, that I was getting. You know, standing in the middle of the ring, ready to tell the people to pour my heart out to them, and they were chanting things like uh, "you know, uh, go home," whatever. I, I don't even know what they were chanting after that. It was it had me in shock. It had me just totally taken off guard. So I, I left for WCW and. Then those chants that I got that night were picked up by chants of you sold out and slap, 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 and just a bunch of things that I, I mean, really, really got to me. I mean, it really, it just hit me right here, right in my heart. And I was just thinking about all that stuff. And, you know, I realized it, it, it's just chants and everything. And, Finally, after thinking about it for five months, I came to the conclusion. I came to the conclusion that, you know, I'm better than you. Because when you're a superstar, let me rephrase that. When you're the superstar of professional wrestling you don't let little things like that get to you you don't get little you know petty anger and trifle things things that shouldn't bother such a superstar such as myself so as far as I'm concerned about your inconsequential opinions which really don't matter to me because, of course, I've said it, I am a superstar. The one opinion that matters to me is, of course, mine. And my opinion about you people right at this moment is, now, you, know, you know what, I forgive you. I forgive you. You know, it's water under the bridge. It's all cool. I forgive you. 
the superstar, Stevie Richards, finds it in his heart to forgive you. Not only, I got it. Not only do I forgive you, I bless you. (laughs) I bless you because not only do you want it, not only do you need it, but I know that you crave it. Wow, you know, I'm so cool to not only forgive you, but at the same time, to bless you. It's cool. God, I feel so much better now. And you know what? (laughs) Don't think nothing of it. You're welcome. The pleasure was all mine. God, this is great. I mean, I'm just so... Hey, a superstar can't trip. <laughs> you gotta love me. We finished the show with a promo from Stevie, so talking about his five months in ECW in WCW. Even he thought about missing missing the title match with Funk. The fans turned on him, and after five months, he's come up with the conclusion: he's better than them. He's a superstar. And he forgives and blesses us. <laughs> Chris, I think the the only real thing we need to talk about from this show, and we talked about him so much in the news, but Stevie Richards, oh my God. You watch this promo and everybody should go back and watch it and think, uh, oh, you know, he's working this new megalomaniac gimmick or he's had a nervous breakdown. But then you hear the news and how people backstage feel about him and how he's not really sure whether he wants to have surgery or whether ECW is his place to be. And you think, well... Maybe Stevie's just like this in his shooting, you know. That's probably not the case. But if you're ECW, would you would you want to put another little push behind Stevie under the constant threat that he a maybe not be able to wrestle again and B might just be off uh, to one of the big two again just as soon as the the whistle blows him? See, I'm I'm caught in two minds with this with Stevie because either he is gonna gonna stay, but obviously he needs to go and have this surgery that obviously we know he is is lined up to be having. Um, do you want him on your books while he's at least out for six months, at the most never coming back? I, I don't think you really put any sort of stock behind him because you know how long is he gonna be there? It, it's it's a tough one to look at, but at the same point, you could do with him the same as what the Fed did with Austin, which is you keep him on TV, you keep him in sort of in a protective role where he's not doing anything physical as such. So if you think Austin just came out and sort of ran his mouth and did did the stone cold thing, obviously you can't do that same character with with Stevie, but if you're going with this, you know, I forgive you, I bless you, I'm, I'm, I'm above you all sort of thing, you know, he could turn up on commentary, he could come up and do promos, you know, he could do backstage skits and things. So you could do a lot with it. It's just obviously, mm, where do, do you sort of want to risk it if, you know, this surgery is as bad as they are saying it, sh- it could and should be? that he can never do anything again. 
And, you know, he's not the only underneath guy going undergoing a, a massive and weird character change this month. But we'll, we'll talk about that when it comes along. But, uh, Chris, take us to December 8th. So the second week's TV of the month opens up with Cronus coming out, where we see shown, shown highlights of Furnace and Lafon beating the FBI for the title. He comes out with broken fingers. Out comes Gertner and the Dudleys. Joey begs them to leave, but the Dudleys beat him down until we hear the ominous sounds of Ice Cube and out comes New Jack. As always, New Jack brings weapons. We get a brawl. Spike even makes a chance to come down to help by hitting acid drops on all three of the Dudleys until Big Dick decides he's not wanting to play anymore and lobs Spike to the outside. Devon smashes the guitar at the time New Jack. Big Dick rocket launches Spike into a bubba cutter, which, onto a table which doesn't break, which was a beautiful sight until the table not breaking. And then Bubba power bombs him through it and gets the pin. I'm not sure when this became a match, but it was fun. <laughs> I think about halfway through, um, I had the same note. Um, so then we have Just Incredible versus Mikey. We get some chain wrestling to start. Justin goes to the outside only for Mikey to tope out, hitting the railings and some whips. Justin gets posted, and then Justin hits an inverted DDT to take advantage, a low drop kick and some chair shots, and a powerbomb for a two. There's a suplex onto a chair. Justin tries a top rope chair shot only to eat the feet. Mikey hits a swinging neck breaker, leg sweep, and a cross body. Justin hits a top rope sunset flip powerbomb for a two. Justin then eats a stunner. And Mikey hits the Frank and Mikey for the win. Two in a row for Mikey Whipwreck. We get told that Shane is going to need surgery on his arm, as reported last month. Superstar Stevie versus Chris Chetty. Chetty misses a double kick moonsault. Stevie hits a super kick for the win. We then see Al Snow talking to Head in the shower. And needs to give a little head to go far. We then see Furnace and Lafont versus Balls and Axel versus Lance and Candido. Lance is in there with Vince and the tag team belts. And now saying they're a higher class. Out come Balls and Axel, followed by Candido and Lance to make it a freeway dance. And we get our obligatory brawl to start. Axel and Candido are in the ring. Axel lariats for a two. Then we get Lafont and Lance going at it as they reverse each other until Lance hits a lovely drop kick. Then we get Balls and Furnace in with a German by Furnace. Once again, everyone is brawling. Lafont hits a Hurricane Rana. Balls and Axel hits some double teams and a beautiful Tiger Driver by Lafont. Furnace holds Balls as Axel drop kicks down for, for the free. Lance hits a top rope plancher. Chris hits a back suplex on balls. Axel hits a lariat and gets a two. Lance hits a back kick for a two count. Axel does dusty punches onto Chris. Lance hits a springing back elbow. Balls super kicks Chris quite quickly afterwards. 
Lance catches Chris and turns it into a power slam for a two. Chris hits top coat Hurricane Rana. Lance hits balls with a chair, which he no-sells, then hits the nutcracker sweet onto a chair. Francis gets it. Francine gets in, so Chris can use the crutch. A double-team superplex for the win. New champions, Storm and Candido. Yeah, Chris, you know, this is probably the, I think it's obviously the most important thing from the show is the tag title change. We, we talked about it in the news, so there's actually been uh, two in, uh, I think, in 48 hours or 24 hours. And I've, I don't know, I have some scattered thoughts about this because I see what they're doing. But for a company that seemed to really put on a pedestal, it's tag division. Um, it's weird to see ECW hot potatoing tag the tag titles like this. And so uh, the last couple the last couple tag team champs before Candido and Storm were the Dudleys, the Gangstas, uh, the Gangstanadas, which is still a stupid name, and then my boys, the FBI. And uh, I think if ECW wants the tag division to have some more diversity with its matches, like it could with the Eliminators back in the first half of the year, then getting the belts onto Candido and Storm was the right move. But I don't know about hot-shotting these belts and giving Furnace and the Fawn this Brett-like run of 24 hours. Um, but I think in the end, ECW got it right, and putting the belts on Candido and Storm means that ECW can go back to having a, an emphasis on working in the tag team matches because in the last three to six months, those teams that I've mentioned, they're really only good for walking brawls or I guess in the case of the Dudleys, uh, some a little bit of in-ring action, but the Dudleys matches always devolve in these walking brawl, chair shot, table shot matches. And so I hope ECW gives Candido and Storm, you know, a little bit of time. I hope they don't drop the belt in two weeks and start feuding with each other because that's probably where we're going. But Let's let's get a little bit of continuity with these tag belts and make them relevant again. I think um, putting them on Storm and Candido makes sense because a while France the franchise isn't about you still need the triple threat as a whole to be a, a thing and a purpose and you know have have an edge. So it sort of makes sense. I sort of get why they didn't want them to go over the FBI because obviously the FBI had sort of been getting some momentum and you know that underdog story so having them get killed by the outsiders and the WWF guys sort of makes sense you know it's a one-on-one match it wasn't a screw finish there wasn't anything that they can sort of call shenanigans on where if they'd have done it in a freeway match like this even if they'd have gone out first and clean you know that they'd have sort of there'd been some sort of a shenanigan sort of thing going on. And they go, oh, we want our titles. Because you want to sort of keep them away from each other. Because I know they're your boys and you love the FBI, but they are a comedy sort of team. If you're going to have Storm and Candido, you do sort of need them to be badass wrestling machines. Back like a couple of years ago, if you remember when we had Benoit and Malenko together. Exactly. You know, they they aren't doing funny. They aren't doing weapons matches, but you will get fucking suplexed out of your boots. That's where we are with Storm and Candido. And I, I think keeping the FBI strong, keeping them relevant and giving them matches on every show and every pay-per-view is what we definitely want to have and keep seeing. 
but I don't want to see him against Storm and Candido. I'd rather see the better teams in those sort of matches. Yeah, and I think I I think you're totally right. And you know, maybe just it was just the timing with Philip and Lafon that they had to do it in the in that 48 hour span. Definitely seeing Candido and Storm pin both. Uh, I believe. Um, yeah, I think they've got the fall over Lafon and Furnace in this match, and they also beat Balls and Axel. I think it makes them look super strong. Mm. But anyway, um, uh, a we'll, little bit of a tangent on the tag team division there, Chris. So I think uh, time to take a look at December 15th. So week three opens with Sandman versus Sabu. We see Sandman on top of the ladder doing a tope on Sabu. We get an electric chair shot. Then Sabu hits a tope. Sabu on a table. Sandman off a ladder through said table, but RVD saves Sabu just in time. Sabu then hits the triple jump leg drop to the outside through Sandman on a table. Who says being broken on the face is going to stop you doing mental shit? Sandman then hits a drop kick to the ladder, and then sentons off said ladder. RVD hits a top rope sidekick to the ladder, then Sabu hits the Arabian face buster with a ladder whilst Sandman has a chair on his face at the same time for the win. If there was ever a point to say, Sabu, you've done yourself a good injury here, maybe calm it down, he does not listen. It's, uh, it's terrifying to watch him wrestle sometimes. So we then get the free P of Justin versus Mikey. We are in Buffalo, as I should have mentioned earlier, this uh, for this show. Mikey's home city. We get some pleasant chants, such as just an arsehole for Mr. Credible and fuck him up Mikey filling the arena. Mikey hits some punches and a backdrop and then the outside of the rope Outside of the rope, Jack, Cactus Jack style clothesline. They brawls the outside. We get a slingshot into the post by Mikey. Jason gets punched in the face just for his, for being there, but Justin hits a baseball slide. Back into the ring, hits a drop, top rope missile drop kick and a hurricane runner for a two count. Mikey hits the stunner and a swinging DDT for the two. And then Mikey's knee gives out running the ropes. Justin hits a single leg DDT and puts on a fairly hard leg bar. You can visually see Mikey screaming in pain and as he's getting wretched. The ref does the humane thing and calls for the bell. Justin does not stop. He keeps wrenching on that knee until the point he stops on the knee and hits two That's Incredibles. Until out come the meanie, balls, axle, and some other faces to clear the ring. Mikey really doesn't move. Um, there's been no reports on if this is legit or if so, how much damage has been done, but I would probably say that, you know, he has, his knee is fucked. Yeah, Chris, I, I, I read the news doc 
I just kind of in passing, but I think there was some mention that Mikey has at least some degree of an injury, but I mean, he sold it so well that you could believe that he was working with an injury and maybe plan to have surgery. And then whatever happened in the ring caused that to be uh, that injury to escalate further. But I think, I think to some degree, Mikey had a knee injury, but he, he definitely sold the hell out of it. If this didn't make it worse. So what do we follow that with? We follow that with pot highlights of Al Snow versus Simon Dyer. Paul Diamond. We get Diamond posting Al's arm and wrapping it around an elbow at the railings, using a chair on his arm. Christy or Chastity gets involved, slapping Al. He then hits a snowplow on her, one for Diamond, and gets the win. We then see Chris Chetty versus Pitbull too. One comes out saying that he's been eating caviar and drinking champagne on Prince's private jet and says if they lose to a rookie, they will leave the ECW. Two hits a shoulder block, a heel kick, press slam, and goes up top for a shoulder breaker and a top rope fallaway slam. Chetty falls into the ropes, which then crops to, he hits a top rope Hurricane Rana, a double jump moonsault, and gets the win. You sure no one's here? Forget it, I ain't doing it. You're not doing it, okay. Well, listen, I got a few extra bucks. It says you will do it. Lance, you're going to get us fired, you idiot. I'm going to get you fired. I got a little stroke around here. I don't think I'm going to get anybody fired. So why don't you just Forget listen about to me? It. Forget about it. All right, well, you know what here? How, how's that look? Well, half that wad. Give me the wad. All right, give me the wad. All right. Give me the wad. You better shoot me on all my sides, and they're all good. I seem to work the tad shaky. Up north, I've got professionals you will deal with. You ready? <clears throat> yeah. All right. In three... Two, one. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Night Raw. I'm your host, Lance McMahon, Mr. Right to You. And if I look a little like Matthew Fox from Party of Five, it's because he took my look. Five-day scruff, side profile, front profile, side profile. I turned that part down, and I will not get cancer. And you know what? If you thought the Pamela Lee, Tommy Lee video was hot, Boy, do I have some video of our ECW hotties and me in action. For example, Chastity. Well, she and I rolled around on the mat and had a little WrestleMania. Then there's Francine. Oh, boy, did Francine like it. Raw. And then there was the one and only Beulah McGillicuddy. First, I started off in her house. Then I graduated up to being the man in her box. And don't, don't, don't kid yourself. She definitely also liked it very raw. What are you doing? Beulah McGillicuddy. God, you're spitting all over me. Well, well, I'm not spitting on anyone. I'm really, oh, come on, don't, uh, you know what we had. Come on. Hey, 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 hey. Don't you ever, ever Ugh. make fun of me on national television again. Ever. Ugh. Ha ha, you missed me. Ugh. I want my mommy. We then get a promo from Lance Wright introducing Raw and claims that he have hot videos of the ECW ladies. At this point, we see Beulah come out and slap him. We then see Al Snow in the back, telling us that it's Christmas time and a time for reflection. And he's happy to be part of the ECW and their fans. And he wishes everyone a happy Christmas, a Hanukkah, 
from him and Head. And he then says that he hopes we all get Head for Christmas. We then see Francine dressed as Miss Claus. We get skits quickly from the FBI punching a Santa Claus doll. Storm and Candido all saying Happy Christmas. And then from the vault, we see Public Enemy from 1994, Bubba Ray from 95, and the BWO from 1996, all outside the Rockefeller Center in New York. And uh, we just talked about them, but I do believe that the FBI did get a clean win over Santa Claus there. So their their push continues. Um, they're one and oh. Chris, I've uh, on this podcast, I've defended Roddy Piper and Alcatraz and uh, perhaps uh, more... Uh, more recently, uh, the transformation of gold dust. Um, so I'm clearly into the, the weird tales aspect of professional wrestling, but my note here says, what the hell is going on with Al Snow? This is either the greatest gimmick of all time ever, or someone is legitimately having a mental breakdown. And this isn't the worst of it we see this month. That comes in next week's episode of TV. Um, it's novel. It's great. It's definitely getting him away from that awful Leaf Cassidy new rocker thing that he was doing with Marty Jannetty. Um, you know, Al Snow's been about for a long, long time. He's a really, really good worker and so much so that he's seen as a, as someone that People are willing to go to see, go to to get trained under him because of how good he is. Um, I just always think that he's just never had a gimmick that's worked. Uh, but this, this with head and the whole sort of psychotic breakdown could be the thing that is just the perfect gimmick for him and takes him to that next level, which he does deserve. Yeah, if if this were 1978, Al Snow would be popular because he's so good. But it's 1997, and you got to have a gimmick. You got to be able to talk. You got to be able to connect to the audience. And Al Snow, I mean, you look back a year ago to the month, December 1996, the WWF pay per view, and the only match from that show worth anything was Snow as Leaf Cassidy versus Flash Funk, Too Cold Scorpio. And they, they went for 20 minutes and they put on a hell of a match and it was unlike most things that had been seen in the WWF to that point. And you look ahead now and Al Snow's still kind of doing the same thing he was on a smaller scale in ECW. But this character, man, I, we mentioned earlier that it's, you know, he and Stevie Richards might be, you know, sailing a little too close together in the shipping lane there in terms of, you know, crazy gimmicks for formerly underneath guys. But I think Al Snow has shown in this month, especially comparing to Stevie, that Al Snow can cut a weird promo, man. And he's really dedicated to this gimmick. And uh, I'm really excited to see where this goes because even if Al never rises above that mid-card, that stepping stone for guys as they're working their way up the card, as long as he's got a gimmick and something he can really sink his teeth into, he might have a spot, uh, certainly in ECW, uh, for as long as he wants to stick around. As you said, it's, it's definitely that it's he's now found his niche and it it works perfectly for ECW. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the sort of place where these sort of characters 
fitting or at home being in the the playbed of of mental. And and we've seen two guys, Brian Pillman and Steve Austin, go to ECW, kind of create this new character, hone hone their craft to some degree, and, and go on to levels previously unseen. I'm not saying Al Snow is going to be, you know, on the path of main event WrestleMania in a couple of years, but you know we've seen ECW uh, spit out some pretty impressive uh, folks down down to uh, after they've been able to hone their craft. So this will be exciting to exciting to see. Uh, not as exciting the December 22nd uh, television. So we open up a pit with Taz calling out Tommy Dreamer deliver on his promise of a title match which he said in the last show at buffalo we get highlights of tommy and sam man versus rvd and sabu this as you'd expect starts with a walking brawl sabu hitting springboard backdrops and a flip leg drop triple jump into the crowd tommy and sam man smashing a ladder into rvd Sabu and RVD hit Air Sabu on a ladder and then hit an ladder assisted monkey flip. Sandman and Tommy hit a splash with vaulting leg drop combos and then both hit power drivers. As is obligatory in these type of matches, Beulah chases Fonzie. Jeff Jones comes down to eject her by force, literally putting her over his shoulder. Sabu and RVD hit rolling thunder. Smash a ladder into the face of Tommy and then onto his broken foot as well. Sandman gets launched into the ladder where they put his head between the rungs and Sabu hits a leg drop on top of a chair on top of his head. Sabu hits RVD with a chair by mistake. Then Sabu smashes Tommy's foot with a chair. Then... Fonzie says no one can beat Sabu. This brings out Taz. He shoots on Sabu until RVD comes in to make the save. Sabu has Taz in a camel clutch as RVD hits a drop kick. Taz hits a quick head and arm suplex and a flipped Tazplex to RVD. Tommy brings in a table. Tommy was going to go up top, but Taz stops him. Instead, he goes up on top and gets an assisted flip sent on through a table. At this point, out comes Stevie, who hits Tommy with a Stevie kick. Taz up. Stevie runs out, but Sabu tries to put on the Taz mission. RVD hits the five-star frog splash for the win. We then get Al Snow's best promo of the month, where he's arguing with Head in the shower. (laughs) <laughs> and complaining that he can't have the hot water. We then have a promo from Francine that says that they are that she's part of the greatest team of men in the world and the most dominant in the sport, that the triple threat are the best. <laughs> what you are looking at right now, ladies and gentlemen, is the greatest set. <laughs> of talent that this sport has to offer today. You see, in 1997, it's a real simple equation. It's a simple math problem that even you morons at home can figure out. Today, it takes three men to do what used to have to do. And we do it better than they've done it. Why? 
because we've taken all the pieces of their talent and what they did well and we jettisoned what they didn't do well, like getting old. At 34 years old, I have already thrown down a belt that had over 100 years of legacy behind it. And I have now, for the third time, my favorite number, held the ECW World's Heavyweight title. Here you go, sweetheart. Keep that nice and warm. By 34 years old, I have dominated this sport. Why? Because I said I could do it, had the talent to do it, and damn it, I'd do it. By barely 26 years old and 24 years old, these two men said they would become the greatest tag team in ECW. And guess what? Look at the gold <laughs> on their shoulders and around their waist. Because they are the best tag team in ECW. The triple threat, ladies and gentlemen. When you pay your money to see the triple threat, there's one damn thing you know for sure. You are going to see the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. <sighs> Got it? <laughs> we see Axel and Bolt going against Marconi and Wild Bill in the ultimate squash match Bulls and Axel win after hitting Nutcracker Sweets and the severe skull trauma followed by brutal chair shots we then get highlights of the FBI versus Tommy Roger and Jerry Lynn where we see Tommy Rogers hitting kamikazes on all three members of the FBI to get the win. And in our main event, Tommy versus Taz. We have some chain wrestling to start. Taz works the broken foot. Taz hits a fireman's Tazplex and clubbing blows as they go to the outside. Taz with a stiff clothesline, but then gets posted. Tommy uses a chair. Back into the ring and then a snapmare onto the chair, followed by a leg drop. Taz hits a belly to belly. Off the top rope, Tommy hits a bulldog and a Russian leg sweep. Taz puts on the ankle lock on the broken foot and then puts on the Taz mission until a rope break. Then Tommy hits a DDT for a two. Tommy sets up a table on the outside. Taz hits a T-bone Tazplex through the table. This brings out RVD and Sabu who come out and hit Rolling Thunder. And it turns up into the point where Baracus comes out. Out comes the Sandman as we go off the air. Chris, how long has Tommy Dreamer been wrestling in that boot? It's been a good month and a half. My God, these guys, Sabu and Tommy Dreamer, just wrestling with serious injuries. Um, Chris, I thought these matches, the, the the first and the last matches on the show were pretty good, but it kind of shows the DCWs in a little bit of a holding pattern. Uh, anything to add on this uh, on this hardcore TV before we jump into what was really the main event of the month? No, as I said, it's it. The thing with December and ECW is they only did three live shows. They did the one in the arena. They did this one in uh, Buffalo, and the other one where they the tag titles happen, switch happened, and that's it. Um, obviously, they did end the month in Japan on tour with FMW, but I, I think ECW knows that there's not really a great market for for December shows, so they sort of phone it in. They do enough to get the TV coverage out of it, and sort of as it is. Right. Well, uh, so we we've come to the December 29th show and. <laughs> We're reminded that ECW has a, a long way to go before it, it truly embraces and can be truly embraced by the mainstream. And by that, I mean, we're about to walk through some types of matches, which 
were previously only available, at least to me, via tape traders and shady vendors at indie shows. And I direct everybody who hasn't seen it, and if you're listening to this show, you probably have, to IWA's Kawasaki Dream Show from 1995. Uh, but we'll, <laughs> you'll see what I mean. Chris, uh, take us through at least the first half of the December 29 uh, Hardcore TV. So we are shown that we are in Kirken Hall in Tokyo, where ECW, as I said, had been on tour with FMW. We open up with Fonzie saying that Sabu is the king of hardcore. Sandman will be found out hard way, and he will go back to the ECW arena in a box. Sandman says he doesn't care, doesn't mind if he gets injured. He loves it. We then get a heartfelt promo from Tommy Dreamer that says that he's the protege of Funk, and Funk asked him to go on this Japanese tour as Tommy was meant to be missing it, obviously due to his foot and travelling 12 hours on a plane. So, we then get highlights from the tour. These include Mike Awesome, Onia, Wayne Kamamura, Masono Tanaka, The Dudleys, Funk, Dreamer. We see such wonders as an electrified barbed wire match, weapons matches, table spots on painting tables, and we end it with a barbed wire C4 death match where the actual ring explodes. <laughs> Chris, if I can add some detail to that highlight package, the final clip is one of those, it's an exploding death match with Onita, who they call the king of the death match, and I believe Katamura. And the referee is wearing what looks to be a fire retardant spacesuit, and the ring is surrounded by what looks like a fence, not barbed wire ropes, but a fence that's covered in barbed wire. And there's a countdown up on the screen like the Royal Rumble that, and when it goes off, the ring fucking explodes. And stuff goes flying everywhere, everywhere into the first three rows. Yeah, um, as I said, on this, because they, they mention it in the, the the match that we're going to talk about in detail at the end, which is obviously the only ECW proper match that's on there. But they say that they had to postpone the show for an hour after this match to try and find another ring because <laughs> they legitimately blow the fucker up. So I mentioned that IWA show from 1995, and and that at least stateside is the well most well known Japanese exploding death match. That was of course Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. But in that match, the bomb, and for lack of a better phrase, it's a bomb, doesn't really go off. It was a malfunction, I think. And so most Americans, and and probably most of the folks on your side of the Atlantic too, Chris, have never been exposed to a proper exploding death match. And this shit is absurd. Yeah. If, if your idea of a classic ma- match is Flair Steamboat from Mid-Atlantic in, in the 70s, you won't even recognize this as wrestling. Go and watch this just for the absurdity of it all. I was going to say, because there's, there's like a bit in it early, because obviously they say that we've got this bar, they, the barbed wire C4 match. And there's just this bit earlier when they see it, that it turns out it's just an electrified barbed wire match. And I'm just like, so they've got charges, legitimate charges, because you see them sparking and there, there is some jolting, so they are clearly got some sort of current going through them. 
and they're getting stabbed by Barbar and pulling bits of skin off. And we're going to top that. That's not mental enough. We need to literally blow a fucking ring up. I I feel that I need may need to stop watching ECW and just start watching FMW and because <laughs> you know it's just that it's just that level higher. It's like Black Sabbath comes out and then everybody's like, oh, and then Metallica comes out and everybody's like, oh, okay. And Jesus. and now and now we're listening, to, you know, Cannibal Corpse and Napalm Death. Right, and this is this is this is that. Anyway, just go and watch this, and and I don't it, even know. It's, what to it's say. a fifteen-minute package that of highlights, which you, you don't see anything of like any real sort of purpose in any of these matches. But it does make me want to see if if there is a tape of that that tour. I want it. <laughs> you won't find Bruno San Martino anywhere near that ring. Anyway, so Chris, we turn to the main event of the December 29 television and probably the most, at least the best television match of the month in my opinion, uh, uh, the third, the third one we see in the last two months, Sabu versus the Sandman. Chris, take it away. So we open up with Sabu caning Sandman. He hitting a slingshot back kick and a slingshot sent on. We get uh, an amazing ECW challenge in Japanese, which is just great. Sabu goes with a table and launches Sandman into it, then off the top rope to the outside, lobbing said table. Sabu fucks up his triple jump, so then hits a tope instead. Sabu then puts a ladder on Sandman's head and posts him with it, and then hits a leg drop onto the ladder still around his head for a two count. Sandman hits a senton into Sabu against the ladder and then suplexes him onto the ladder for a two. We get a slingshot leg drop onto the ladder for a two. A tope senton onto the ladder and then a top rope Frankenstein sander for a two count. A swift caning that goes to the outside and it goes after Fonzie. Sabu hits the baseball slide and then smashes the ladder into the Sandman's face again, then hitting a triple moonsault for a two count. We get the triple jump leg drop. Sandman then hits another slingshot toe leg drop, but misses the follow-up top rope leg drop, which still, after all this time, still looks like shit. (laughs) Sabu hits the triple jump drop kick for a two, hits a top rope double jump drop kick, and then a double jump sent on onto Sandman through a table. Hits him with a fucking brutal chair shot. Then puts the ladder on top, up top rope for an Arabian face buster using the ladder for the win. If it wasn't for their November to remember match, this might seem sloppy. <laughs> this is another one of those sort of matches between these lot where... I don't think they can not be either A, brutal, or B, messy. It's just not in them to to do it properly. And uh, a quick show this month, and so that will we'll do it for Volume 3 of this month's Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Uh, and we'll see us close out the year for 1997 in ECW. Uh, Chris Lacey, 
as always, thanks so much for having me along in your vessel. Plug away, my friend. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you with me on this wonderful world of extreme. And, you know, you did get to see some shit explode. So if you want to hear more from me, you can listen to my musical musings at Show and Tell with Tunes on the iTunes. Um, this month I have released three, three normal shows. I have a Christmas special going up on Christmas Day and I have a two part, uh, my top 20 albums of the year shows going up on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Um, so loads of music there for you. Um, Super Rules is still on hiatus, but, um, I did actually go and see Tom this week to exchange Christmas presents and we have put into stone that we're definitely getting back in January. So we will get round to doing Battle Bowl because I know Bob really, really wants us to get to that part because he thinks that's going to be the show killer. Um, and obviously that's on iTunes as well as Super, uh, Super Rules. And if you want to hear my random musings of all sorts of weird shit and probably lots of video games talk because I've got games over Christmas, you can follow me at Lacey555666. I'd be curious to hear uh, what you think about uh, Super Brawl 93 in comparison to Starcade 91, I think, was when they did the Lethal Lottery. Um, another just absolutely terrible show. So you'll have to let me know what you think uh, between those two shows because those strike me as two of the worst of all time. Yeah, 1991 was was bad. <laughs> Uh, and I'm, I'm Eric Landstrom. I'm on Twitter at Modern Day Lawyer. Um, this has been volume three of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast for December of 1997. Uh, five of the volumes this month, uh, WCW Starcade in volume one. I wonder if anything interesting will happen there. I've uh, heard that someone's meant to be turning up, but don't know who. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. I'm sure, you know, WWF is, uh, uh, had a pretty controversial month, so I'm sure WCW is just going to keep the stip- ship steady and keep its advantage, but we'll see. Uh, volume 2, uh, December uh, 1997 in the WWF, and judging by prior Decembers, this is going to be a cracking good in-your-house, D-Generation X. Uh, volume 4 is the UFC, and as I said at the outset, Volumes 5 and 6, what you've all been waiting for, the end-of-year review and the end-of-year awards. Uh, six volumes in total will work out to about 15 hours. So uh, take your uh, dollars and cents over to Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs, brighten Bobby Bamber's Christmas, and leave a little token of gratitude. And that will do it for this short episode. Uh, for Chris Lacey, I'm Eric Landstrom, and this has been Volume 3 of the December 1997 Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in 1998.